Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security, and culture. Welcome. Nigeria. At 224 million people, Nigeria is the most populous and leading oil producer in Africa, making it the largest economy and the hardest country to govern. President Bola Tinubu ascended to office amid expectations that he would fix the battered economy, facing high inflation and widespread insecurity, resulting from banditry and Islamic jihadism, known as Boko Haram. His reign started on the heels of oil majors divesting and moving offshore or exiting Nigeria's oil and gas sector altogether. In his first 150 days, however, President Tinubu has removed fuel subsidies, a costly policy that drained $10 billion from the state's coffers. He has devaluated the Naira to unify the foreign exchange market, where the Central Bank of Nigeria artificially kept the Naira's value high against the dollar, making it hard for foreign investors to repatriate profit. He has also suspended the governor of the Central Bank of Nigeria and the chairman of the Economic and Financial Crimes Commission. He has ordered an immediate resolution of the impasse between Nigeria and the United Arab Emirates that saw UAE stopping visa issuers to Nigerians and the Emirates Airlines suspending flights to Nigeria due to difficulty in profit repatriation. And recently, he was elected the chairman of the Economic Community of West African States, also known as ECOWAS. These drastic measures have given investors hope that the Nigerian economy is recovering. However, fuel prices have surged since the removal of the fuel subsidies. Inflation has reached a record high of 24% in 18 years. As the chairman of ECOWAS, President Tinubu faces the daunting task in dealing with the Niger coup that has drawn regional powers, threatening to escalate into a regional conflict. The administration failed to obtain the Senate approval, however, to deploy troops in Niger, with the Nigerian Senate opting for diplomacy as a solution to the political impasse in Niger. These are major issues that are confronting the leadership of Nigeria, starting with President Tinubu himself. We see Nigeria, however, was not able to join the BRICS, as we've seen recently at the summit that they held in Johannesburg. Instead, we saw a country like Ethiopia becoming a member of the BRICS. And this raises the question, how strong is the Nigerian economy? Is it consequential? We know that Nigerians like to say one out of four African is Nigerian, but what does that mean actually? Joining us to discuss these issues here in Port Harcourt, River State, in the Federal Republic of Nigeria, is Mr. Fineface Dunamene, Executive Director of Youth and Environmental Advocacy Center. Welcome to Into Africa. Thank you for having me on the program, and I appreciate the opportunity. Greetings to you all. Thank you, Fine Face. Welcome to Into Africa. Nigeria, your country, is an important country in Africa and in the world. We just read some of the... What is happening today? We know that 
President Tinubu being, being in office 150 days, a little over that. What's your diagnostic? What's your outlook? How do you assess his first 150 days? Yeah, thank you very much. And the president assumed office on May 29, 2023, and uh, haven't taken office. Uh, he's taking steps to fix the economy he picked up, but then the economy seems to have, uh, you know, slipped out of his hands because a lot of things are happening that ought not to happen. And Nigeria is one of the most populous countries you can think think of. We have over 200 million people. And of course, he has the ministers in place currently. And the very big challenge he is faced with on assumption of office is the Nije coup. And the coup in Nije has uh, kind of thrown Nigeria off its feet. And uh, the step by the Tinubu administration to take steps in uh, Nije by way of, you know, intervening militarily has been turned down by Nigerian Senate. And of course, the president have also just said that he's under pressure to take action there. But then... A lot of Nigerians and some Northerners in Nigeria believe that if Tinubu should take any military action in Niger, it's amount to fighting the Northerners that contributed to getting him into power because six Northern states share boundary with the Niger Republic. So these are some of the challenges he's facing in the area of the economy. The economy seems to be worse now than under the former president, Muhammadu Buhari. But we believe that now that we have a minister of finance and we do not yet have a CBN governor and the EFCC chairman is not also in place, we believe that the moment these institutions have their heads, that maybe steps will be taken to cover the economy from where it currently is. You said a few things there. We're going to dissect this. One, you said the economy is slipped from his hand. What do you mean? Yeah, what I mean is that before he took over office, the naira to dollar ratio was less, was about 500, 600 naira to a dollar. But currently we have about 950 naira or a little less to one dollar. And the inflation is also very, very high. The removal of forest subsidy is another issue that's happened and made the economy to go worse. The inflation in Nigeria today, we can call it hyperinflation. A lot of people are suffering. Food cost of food is expensive. Everything is hard because of the subsidy remover on petroleum product. I support the subsidy remover because it was making a lot of Nigerians, just very few of Nigerians to make so much money at the expense of the ordinary people. And a lot of countries like Cameroon, Chad, Niger, and other neighboring countries to Nigeria were benefiting from the subsidy in Nigeria. So the removal of the subsidy is a good thing, but the economy is slipping out of the hands of the president because he failed to put in place certain measures before taking the step of removing the subsidy. So as we speak today, the Nigerian economy is in shambles. You mentioned in your introduction how companies, airlines that do business in Nigeria are unable to repatriate their profits. These are some of the challenges we are facing. So the, the, the dollar is in shortage and the economy is unable to really be able to make those dollars and foreign currencies available for people doing business in Nigeria to repatriate their profits and be able to sustain their profits here. So some companies are actually withdrawing. The economy is going down because a lot of people cannot even power their businesses because the PMS is expensive, electricity is not there, and the AGO desire is not also available. So the economy is currently facing challenges and a lot of small and medium-scale enterprises and businesses are going off. Nigeria is Africa's largest oil-producing country. That means there's a lot of money here. What is it that makes it now? People have faced fuel shortage, as you say. People cannot power energy at their own house. What is the problem? Nigeria is a country of a lot of talent. Yeah, Nigeria has a lot of talents. Nigeria is the largest oil-producing in Africa, but we have a lot of issues. Because Nigeria has uh, four 
refineries. None of these refineries are working. Nigeria produces the crude oil and has to take it out of the country to other countries for refining. And then the refined product is imported into the country. That's another challenge we face. And Nigeria's quota to OPEC, Organization of Oil Exporting Countries, is about 2 million barrels per day. But Nigeria is unable to produce 2 million barrels per day because there are some youths who break into the pipelines, steal the crude oil, and made it difficult for Nigeria to transport the crude oil to the export terminals and take outside the country for export. So all of these made it a challenge for Nigeria to really be able to withstand the pressure coming from the over 200 million people. And in addition to this, you have the issue of the fact that Nigeria depends solely on crude oil. The economy is solely crude oil economy. It's a mono economy that does not have, is not diversified. So as a result of this, it becomes a challenge if we are unable to pump enough crude oil to make enough money for the Nigerian people. This has been going on for a long time. So this is not a worry problem. Yeah. It was the before and before and before. The world is asking, what is the matter? Again, I'm going to push you on this. Yeah. Nigeria is a home of a lot of talent. You go around the world. You see Nigerians, uh, Nigerians leading various institutions in the world. They are academy, the universities, they're everywhere. Why can't we get this right? I think why we are not getting it right at home is because leadership issue. I would say it's a leadership problem because if you are a president of Nigeria, you're supposed to be the best that we have in Nigeria. But the Nigerian electoral system is making it difficult for the people to pick the best among the over 200 million people to lead us. We just finished an election in Nigeria in February 2023, and a lot of people believe that the election was rigged to put in the current president. They believe that the person they elected is not the person that became the president. So as a result of that, the ability of the people, the Nigerian people, to elect someone that they want to lead the economy is not there. So that leadership issue, leadership gap, leadership challenges is the reason why we are having this. Otherwise, nobody will feel that we are in a country that you have over 200 million people and you are in a country with so much resources. You are in a country where we have all that we needed to produce and you are unable to produce enough products for the country to use. The four refineries are not working. We have a few modular refineries owned by individuals that are working, but they are unable to produce for all the people. And we are also calling for the government to approve modular refineries for youths who are involved in artisanal refineries to be able to contribute to the, to the production quota. We are also calling for Nigeria to look at what we call the Presidential Artisanal Crude Oil Refining Development Initiative, PACODI. PACODI is a system that modifies the artisanal refineries, innovates it, modernize it, legalize it, and integrate it into the national economy. So PACODI is the way to go for these youth that are involved in oil stealing to come into official oil production. That could help us to be able to address the issue of petroleum shortage in Nigeria. Today, a liter of gas in Nigeria today is well over $1. And that is, that is not achievable and affordable by the ordinary people. And majority of Nigerians power their houses with their own generator, with their gas, because we don't have electricity. So these are the challenges that is making life to be difficult in Nigeria because leadership has failed at all levels. And we are thinking and believing that someday we are going to get it right when we have our electoral system to be very, very strong. So we keep calling on the American government and the American people whose democracy we borrow in Nigeria and whose system of government we borrow in Nigeria to continue to support the Nigerian people so that we can be able to get it right. When you talked about this D, what you're talking about is the informal sector that is each its bargain 
to the oil energy. Exactly. So people getting their own oil, exactly. whatever they are, is that what you said? That is what I'm saying. You're saying they need to be brought into the form of the economy. Exactly. That is what Pakodi talks about, the presidential. The economy is not working. So they, what's the incentive to bring them into the form? Yeah, the incentive is for them to provide and establish the Pakodi. And the incentive, again, is for them to give them this opportunity to have access to the crude oil. Because as we speak, the multinational oil companies who are also divesting currently are the people controlling the Nigerian crude. And as a result of that, if you want to set up any modular refinery or you want to set up Pakodi to bring the informal sector into the formal sector, it becomes an issue if the multinational oil companies are not giving you the green light for you to have what they call the feed, that is the product, to refine. So it's very important that this opportunity is given for them to come in. Because as we speak, a lot of communities in Nigeria are not motorable. A lot have not seen vehicles all their lives. A lot of people in Nigeria have not had electricity all their lives except the one that comes through generator. If these people that are doing this petroleum production illegally, we are not producing, the energy supply to those places would have been a challenge. So they are filling that gap informally. So we want them to bring them into the formal sector officially. In a design or oil producer, you know, in your backyard, in your neighborhood, what is the incentive for you to join a system that you just described is not working? The incentive will be for the leadership of Nigeria, the president of Nigeria, to give licenses for that free of charge. The incentive will also be to grant a kind of amnesty, a kind of pardon to youths who have been involved in pipeline vandalism, crude oil theft, and illegal refining because it is a criminal activity. If they are pardoned, they will be able to come out to participate in the former economy. Another incentive would be for government to provide grants and loans, soft loans for the people, revolving loans that they can use to go into these businesses and they are able to be able to provide this. In Nigeria, there is what we call the 1979 Land Use Act that put all the lands in Nigeria in the hands of the government through the governors of the various states. The governors through the Land Use Act should be able to have the powers of law to provide land for people to carry out these businesses. So a lot of incentives can be put in place for this to happen. And for these incentives to all work, we need a law, an act of parliament that should govern the entire framework of getting this done. If we can have those stuffs in place, then I believe that between now and 2030, Nigeria can be fuel sufficient, can be energy sufficient. But then... I, 2030. 2030, yeah. That's where we are in what year you now? Like, in 2023. That's seven, seven years' years. time. Exactly. Yeah, because a modular refinery can be consulted within six months. So in six months' time, we can fix that, put the laws in place within two years, and we can begin to become energy sufficient. Because Nigeria is trying to transition from fossil fuel to clean and renewable energy net zero by the year 2060. And the time to build the capacity is now. So there is so much on the table of Mr. President to do. And I believe that his men will be able to work with him to get this done. Two things. In Nigeria, the president has full control of the energy sector. In fact, he's the big ogre of both the oil and the gas ministries. Yeah. Right? He's the boss of both ministries on either side yeah. of this, this equation. So as such, what you're saying, you need the president has to move and such. In his first few hundred days here, the first 150 days, mm. he said he moved the subsidies. He's done this. Mm. Is that a good or a bad thing? What else should he do beyond what you just described? Because we hear from the streets here. You and I go to the streets and talk. Important was good. But then I hear you say it was not a good thing. 
Yeah. What, what, where do you stand? I don't understand clearly. Yeah. Where, why is removing subsidies bad? It's good economy. Removing subsidy. It's not good economy. Removing subsidy is good because a few people were benefiting from the subsidy. But removing subsidy is bad because the poor people are unable to afford the product, product, uh, product now, the PMS now. But removing subsidy is also good because it was bringing a lot of corruption within the system. And the subsidy that was removed has now made us to understand that we consume less than they were claiming we normally consume before. And beyond... So the statistics were found? We are, we are not very clear. Even now, it's not still very clear. But I believe that with time, it's going to be clear because we are just trying to monitor the system. But the removing the subsidy is made a lot of people to suffer. But I support that process because it's going to remove a lot of corruption. And beyond that subsidy remover, what the president has done in the energy sector is that uh, he has created a new portfolio in the Ministry of uh, Petroleum Resources. He has created the portfolio of the Minister of State of, for gas. And then we have the Minister of State for Petroleum Resources there. So the portfolio for gas is new? Was, is new. It wasn't there before. He has put it there. It wasn't there before. But he remains the Minister of Petroleum and Gas in Nigeria. And oftentimes we have President becoming the ministers of this. They don't do anything. They just sit down there, oversee the entire process. So beyond that, he has also tried to direct that they look into my proposal. That's the Presidential Artisanal Crude Oil Refining Development Initiative, PACODI. It's a proposal I made. He has directed that they should look into it to see how it can legalize and integrate. Submitted I submitted to the, to the parliament. I submitted to the president himself. And he has directed they look into that so that he can integrate it. So these are some of the steps he has taken in the energy sector. But I believe that these steps are not enough yet. He needs to do more to making sure that the impacts of the subsidy remover does not affect the ordinary people because the poverty rate in Nigeria is very, very high. Over 100 million Nigerians are very, very poor. 40% of the population. Yeah, it's very, very poor. And over 20% of the population are unable to feed on $1 per day. So you can see the level of poverty and the removal of subsidy have thrown them higher in poverty than they were before the subsidy was removed. You talk about legislation, talking about policy making to take specific position. With Nigeria, you have a new act, the Petroleum Industry Act. Is not that addressing what you want to address? Yeah, the act is very new. The Petroleum Industry Act, or the PIA, was put in place in 2021 uh, at the peak of the previous administration of President Muhammadu Buhari. And uh, currently, there was a committee set up to review the act and make it implementable. And that committee is yet to submit its report because the previous administration ended while the report was yet to be submitted. But I think that the act is going to address a lot of issues in the oil and gas sector in Nigeria. But the act itself is not a perfect act. There are some flaws within the act. And I don't see that as the implementation of the act because there is no document that is perfect anywhere in the world, except what we normally say that it is only the U.S. Constitution that is almost perfect because it's just been amended a few times and everything is running perfectly. So I believe that if the act is properly implemented, so if we can put all those together, I believe that is going to make the act to be workable and a lot of people could benefit. Like in that act, it is 3% of the profits of the oil companies to the local communities to use and develop themselves. And they need to set up what they call the host community development trust, that they are going to pay the 3% to and they use it to develop themselves. And in the process of that, social corporate responsibility is going to be reduced. But then another challenge is that the multinational oil companies are currently divesting and they are moving offshore. So the operation of the oil industry is now falling back in the hands of the indigenous companies that may not give them a better deal like the multinational oil companies were giving them. Do you believe that this fact, the divesting of majors from the shores of Nigeria into the offshore, 
create a number of challenges, but also opportunities for local companies, what you call here indigenous companies. Mm -hmm. How do you assess these opportunities here? Or do you see more challenges? Yeah, I think I see more challenges than opportunities because uh, the multinational oil companies were relatively better. In Nigeria, there is a saying that we do say that the devil you know is better than the angel that you do not know. Although the multinational oil companies were doing well, but in their way of doing well, they were polluting the environment and they were being taken to courts and they have decided to move offshore because of the challenges they have in the communities. For the indigenous companies, they are happy because they are inheriting the facilities. But what they are inheriting is more of liabilities than actually assets. And as a result of that, the, the, local, companies, the local companies are going to make more profit, but then the communities are going to suffer because it is a Nigerian company. They are not going to give enough to the local people. But I believe that if the laws of Nigeria under the Petroleum Industry Act is properly implemented, we are going to hold this to account. But then the Nigerian judiciary is a big challenge. When you take a case to court, you spend like 10, 5, 15 years in court before you can get judgment. And the judgment is the likelihood of the influence of the judgment by those who have more money is there. So those institutional weaknesses is a challenge we are having. And I believe that the communities are going to have more challenges under the indigenous companies than they had under the multinational oil companies that are divesting. Indigenous companies are owned by Nigerians. Nigerians are supposed to have the interests of fellow Nigerians at mm. Why do you feel like it's going to be worse? Why I feel it's going to be worse is because they lack resources. They don't have enough money. They don't also have enough competence. They don't have enough technology. They don't also have enough capital base compared to the multinational companies that operate in other countries. And the fact that they are from Nigeria is another challenge because in Nigeria... They see that anything goes. You know me, I know you, so nothing serious can happen. You remember the local co co communities were taking the multinational companies to court in Nigeria. They were not getting judgment, but when they take them outside the country, they got judgment. But now they are being confined to Nigeria because Nigerian company, Nigerian law, and Nigerian court. So the communities are going to not be able to really get a good deal from the indigenous companies. But in that spirit, in the spirit of President Tingbu taking these steps and with the Petroleum Industry Act, don't you feel like there is an opportunity for the courts and everybody else, all the institutions to align so that they can start delivering for night? There is the possibility of doing that, but it's not going to be very smooth as we think. But if we begin to have a thorough separation of powers between the various organs of government, then we are likely going to have a good deal. But the challenge keeps remaining that the judiciary is not as strong as we expected because they pay their salary from the executive and the executive dictates almost what happens there. On that point... You and I went to Ogoniland today. We saw the spillage. We saw River Bonnie, fully polluted, with sheen of, of uh, oil floating above. What is the solution to that within this context? Yeah, what we need to do to address the issue of oil pollution and pipeline that is breaking in the Niger for them to change all the pipelines or they try to leave the fossil fuel on the ground and we talk about the clean and renewable energy and we should also try to use our laws to hold these companies to account. If we are able to do so, then we can address some of this issue. Nigeria should transition to gas, like what we are looking at. We should also try to use energy vehicles like electricity vehicles and other ones that are powered by solar. By so doing, we will be able to address some of these issues. 
What do you expect Nigeria to look like in the next 10 years? Yeah, in terms of the environment, I think we are going to have more pollution in the next 10 years because the local companies don't have the capacity to operate the facilities being divested to them by the multinational oil companies. And the next 10 years, I see more solar, more renewable energies coming in from foreign investors and foreign partners. But then I see a situation whereby where we are now may not be too different in terms of transition to clean and renewable energy in the next 10 years, except some policy measures are put in place. The president takes some step and the gas minister takes some step to address some, a lot of these issues. On that note, fine face, the nominee, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on Into Africa. I wish you and your country of Nigeria the best of luck. Thank you for having me. Greetings to you from Africa, Nigeria and West Africa. Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csis.org slash Africa. So long. <laughs>